0: Hello, welcome to this episode of Sports Weekly India. It's been an absolutely amazing start to the world T20 in Australia, especially if you're an Indian fan. What a chase that was by Virat Kohli and Hardik Pandya. No less credit to the Pakistan team either, by the way, for putting up an amazing display. We'll talk a lot about that. But before that, here's a quick reminder for you to download Pods and listen to this podcast for free or anywhere else you get your podcast. Remember to rate us. It just helps us to improve. And without further ado, let's get started. Welcome to the show, RK. Welcome, Ayaz. RK, first question for you. Is Virat Kohli the absolute best T20 cricketer or chaser in general?
1: I think Virat Kohli reminds me so much of uh, Michael Bevan as far as one-day international cricket is concerned. Michael Bevan in the 90s was uh, the chase master. And then, of course, Mahendra Singh Dhoni understood how to manage the innings when it comes to run chases. But I guess as far as T20 cricket is concerned, I would possibly think, yeah, he should be up there. If not the very best, he should be up there with the top two or top three. I think what we saw in that game against Pakistan was unbelievable stuff. When he started off, uh, I don't think he was the most comfortable then even against Shadab, he was fairly quiet. So he understood that he was always not the strongest against Lexman, but he was able to take on the other bowlers. And those two shots that he played in the 19th over, uh, the fifth and the sixth balls of the 19th over against Harris Rauf was uh, quite incredible. I mean, the kind of power that he generated. And I think what he said afterwards was quite telling. So he understood that this is the only shot that he wanted to play and therefore got into position very, very quickly and played the shot that he did. So it's supreme self-confidence that you are talking about. And I think in terms of chases, I think he's got a bit of a muscle memory as well. He's done it so often in the past, whether it is uh, T20 cricket, whether it is one day internationals, he, he just enjoys a number in front of him. It's almost as if he's a sprinter. He knows where he needs to finish and he just goes, as people often say with respect to a 100-meter sprinter. They calculate their first 10 meters, the 20 meters, the 30 meters. They go in splits of 10 meters and so on. And they understand when to pick up, when to slow down a little bit and when to give that final push. So I think Kohli, to a large extent, is that. And it's just probably one of the best ever innings that I've seen in the world of cricket. And I guess it's one of the best ever games of cricket that I've witnessed.
0: Well, interesting insights there. But Ayaz, here's a big question. Did Babar
2: Azam choke? Did Babar Azam choke? I mean, it's difficult to, you know, use that word for his batting. Uh, he was out first ball to arshdeep singh so you can you can say that uh, he he didn't have the rub of the green it was a terrific delivery from arshdeep and uh, there was not much that babar could do he tried to play across the line missed it completely and was plumb like before so pakistan's premier batsman just didn't get going at all but of course babar azam is also captain of the team and did he choke as a captain now that's the tough call because i thought that for for most of the match or most of the indian innings he handled his bowlers quite well remember India won of the last ball, and except in the last two overs, it seemed that Pakistan were on on course to win uh, this match. So, I don't think Babar Azam choked in that sense in his decision making. He was quite, you know, decisive on the field, quite swift in his the the field settings that he wanted, the field placement that he wanted. He had chats with the, with his bowlers, but he didn't kind of have midfield or you know conferences with seven eight players involved as has often been seen in the past when pakistan have been uh, we used to have five six captains on the field so all that didn't happen i think Babar Azam to his credit and to his team's credit they put up a fabulous fight i mean this match went to the last ball and either team could have won it could have also ended in a super over and you have that kind of a, a climax and a finish you can't really say the captain was at fault or the fielding captain or the losing captain was at fault
0: Well, true, there were some choices that he could have done differently, especially Nawaz bowling the last over. Was that a tactical error or was it overconfidence, you know, that, well, they will just canter over the line here?
2: Obviously, the question will be asked whether Babar Azam did the right thing in holding back Mohamed Nawaz right to the last over, Mohamed Nawaz, as we know, as, as it transpired, came under a lot of pressure. The first over he bowled, he was hit for some, he was clubbed for sixes by Hardik Pandya. That was the over where India needed that acceleration, that impetus, which Pandya and Kohli gave. And then it got down to the last over, 16 runs needed. Did Babar make a mistake in holding Possibly his weakest link in the attack till the very end. But I think actually this is all the benefit of hindsight. You know, in hindsight, vision is 2020. 20. 16 runs of the last over Mohammed Nawaz has got a couple of fine performances under his belt, including one against India uh, as, as a batsman perhaps. But he's been amongst the more promising all-rounders. I think that he rightly, in, in, when you look at it objectively, to hold back the spin after Pandya and Kohli had given them the charge, another over like that, 18-20 runs, could have finished the match there itself. I think Babur gambled on the, on the played the hunch that with the run rate or the asking rate mounting, either Pandya or Kohli or both would have to get out in going for the big strokes. That didn't happen till the very last over when Pandya was dismissed. So that plan was foiled, I think, very effectively by Kohli and Pandya. And therefore, when he ran out of options, Babar Azam, he had to go back to Mohammed Nawaz. But was it a monumental blunder? It might seem like that. But I don't think tactically it was such a blunder as is being made out now, especially by Pakistan fans.
0: Yeah, that's always a tough one. RK, where did you think Pakistan lost the game? Uh, It's an interesting question.
1: I know you can look at it in uh, many different ways. One is uh, you simply don't even look at Pakistan and you turn around and say that Virat Kohli played the innings of his life, probably the best ever innings that we've seen of him. Now, that's obviously one very good way of looking at it. And that's probably the one way we should be looking at it. But however, if we dig deep and understand because the reason why I said you need to look at it from Virat Kohli's perspective is when, when we started this game or when Pakistan entered the tournament or broadly when you talk about Pakistan you're talking about one of the strongest bowling units. You turn around you'll find fast bowlers for fun on the streets of uh, uh, Lahore and you, you've got uh, terrific fast bowlers. They were operating at breakneck speed but I think at the end of the day if you've got to dig in deep and understand where Pakistan actually lost the game maybe you would turn around and say would they have been better off with another bowling option? Uh, Look, if you remember, India, the last edition of the World Cup, were restricted to only five bowlers. And I don't think Hardik Pandey, of course, was a part of the squad, was a part of the playing eleven, but he did not bowl. And I think that was a critical difference as far as India was concerned. And that is a luxury that Pakistan did not have. And again, in terms of calculating the overs, I think Babar Azam this time around knew it was going to come at some point in time. He had to reserve a Mohammad Nawaz only because of the fact that he was hit early on, which means that you had to preserve the overs. So it, it was eventually a game of chess. And even in the final overs, so one thing that Pakistan managed to do or tried to do was the fact that Mohamed Nawaz was hardly bowling spin. He might have bowled slow, but he was trying to bowl seam up there with the keeper standing behind. So those were a couple of learnings that Pakistan took at the back of the Asia Cup defeat where Mohamed Nawaz was, uh, you know, forced to bowl that final over Hardik Pandya finish that game, he alongside uh, Dinesh Karthik did the job for Team India then. Now, this time around, again, it went down to that final over. And you know probably once that happens, Barbarazam is almost praying for the result to go his way. So, I think if you have got to pick and choose, maybe it's... Uh, that particular moment not having an extra seamer that probably hurt uh, not having an extra bowling option that hurt pakistan uh, what are the other options they had really they had iftikar probably iftikar bowls a bit of off spin but nothing threatening as well so between an Iftikhar and mohammad nawaz i understand the choice mohammad nawaz had to bowl that final over because you didn't have much of a choice beyond these two and iftikar was never going to be an option because it was Mohammed Nawaz who at least had the experience, who does bowl very, very regularly, let's be honest. And he's done very, very well. It's just the situation that he got caught in that made a huge difference.
0: Moving on to India's batting. Ayaz, I think it just failed, didn't it? What went wrong?
2: Barring Virat Kohli, India's top order flopped. You know, and It could have cost India the match. Rohit Sharma didn't make too many, neither Rahul. Both those wickets fell very early and then, of course, in form, Surya Kumar Yadav was also dismissed. Then Akshar Patel, who was promoted up the order as a left-hand option against some of the bowlers that Pakistan were deploying, he got run out. So, India were left in a very precarious situation. Now, this is a bit of a worry. I think what happened in this match is India seemed to sort out their bowling issue, which looked... To be the most serious concern going into this match, Arjlip was brilliant, so was Shami, so was Hardik, so was Bhuvneshwar. Everybody bowled fabulously, all the four fast bowlers. And uh, I saw Ashwin also did a very good job as a spinner. Akshar Patel was hammered in the only over he bowled. You can't fault him too much, he bowled only one over, but yes, he was hammered. But it's the top order. Rohit's getting very few runs, so too Rahul, Surya Kumar Yadav, maybe the law of averages catching up. So this is going to be an area of concern, especially against a team like South Africa, because India have to beat South Africa to assure themselves, virtually assure themselves in the knockout. So this is becoming an issue because Rohit and Rahul, you know, not just been getting the big scores. Rahul has got a couple of 50s in the recent past, but they've not been in the really, you know, the really daunting or the really tough games. And that's something that India will be seeking from both these openers. Well,
0: while the batting didn't do well, I think the bowling did click well. R.K., do you agree? Does it look like a settled bowling unit to you now? As far as Indian attack is concerned, I thought it was a bit of a horses for
1: courses. I did suspect that Ashwin will play a part. I know a lot of those games have been played by Yuzvendra Chehel, Chahal, but Ashwin, I thought, will play a part because of two reasons. One is because of the longish square boundaries that you look at the Melbourne cricket ground. It's got seriously long boundaries. And the other thing is there's a bit of depth that he adds to the batting lineup. Uh, sometimes we do underestimate the batting prowess of uh, Ashwin. Now, let's look look at it this way, right? I mean, you had Ashwin. What if Chehel had entered the frame instead of Ashwin during a such a situation. Between Chehel and Ashwin, you would have probably thought Ashwin would have done the job or Ashwin would do the job as a batter in such a circumstance as opposed to Chehel. So in that sense as well, I think the selection of Ashwin Roacham, just wanted to extend that batting lineup a little bit more. Because if you're looking at this as a contest between the batting of India and the bowling of Pakistan, you would think that India will have to bat really well and bat a bit deep against the Pakistani fast bowlers or Pakistani bowlers in general. But Is this going to be the lineup going forward for every game? I'm not so sure. They could be changes. Chehel would come into play in a few grounds is what I suspect. But yeah, it looked good and it was also a very good track, mind you, that we got to see. The way Bhuvi started, the way Arshdeep started, special mention to Arshdeep; He was fantastic, really. And Shami's induction was very, very good. So yes, suddenly you're turning around and saying that you've got a bit of option as far as the bowling department is concerned.
0: Ayaz, do you think that Kohli and Pandya managed the chase well or did they really leave it until very late? I mean, at one stage twenty. 20- Eight were needed of eight and but for those two sixes of Haris Rauf, uh, India could well have
2: ended up on the losing side. Kohli and Pandya put up a marvelous exhibition of uh, bat- batsmanship, T20 batsmanship and how one can build partnerships and steer a team out of a of a deep, deep crisis. I mean, India were in a precarious position, four wickets down, and then, you know, very few runs on the board. Uh, Another wicket at that stage could have meant, well, kaput, game over for India. And that's when they had to manage the situation almost perfectly, as we say. Ensure that no wicket is lost, at the same time, ensure that the runs keep ticking even if they are coming in a bit of a trickle to start with but then keeping the required run rate in mind all the while so i think this was an outstanding exhibition of a partnership or jugalbandi between these two which kept the ultimate sight you know, the sights on the victory always alive. Yes, it was a very tough win, but I thought the way they navigated, especially Virat Kohli, I thought, uh, you know, was marvelous in reading the match situation perfectly. So to Hardik, I think to give Hardik credit, which, you know, he must get for his role in the partnership, but even otherwise, for the way he bowled and picked up the wickets to keep Pakistan to 159, they could have well have made 165, 170, or, you know, something like that, and again, then the match would have been over. So. Yes, Virat Kohli, hero of the day, hero of that of that evening, wonderful to see him come back to his best, played arguably the greatest T20 innings, not just by an Indian, as Rohit Sharma said, but perhaps by anybody in this format in T20 history. But don't forget that Hardik Pandya in my opinion, is now the India's MVP, the most valuable player for what he does with the ball, the value he brings with the bat, and he's also a brilliant fielder. And this partnership showed that Pandya, you know, is not a show pony. Uh, he's not just wanting all the attention on himself. He's also willing to play the foil. So too, Virat. He played the foil to Pandya to start with. You know, he was... As he mentioned later, he was trying to eke out the runs. He looked a bit scratchy. Everybody was saying, where is Virat's strike rate? The complaints were coming again. All that he brushed aside. But don't forget the role Pandya played.
0: Well, Ake, what about the batting order? Did it make sense to send Akshay Patel up? I know a pinch hitter can make or break, but it seemed like it was more of a break situation here.
1: I think the one reason why Akshar Patel was sent was because I think when you look at that Indian side, you don't have too many left-handers. Akshar Patel was one left-hander. If he could have relieved the pressure a little bit, because India was definitely struggling because the Pakistani fast bowlers were doing very, very well. If he could have relieved the pressure a little bit, things could have been slightly different. Because I think when you look at that entire top seven, Akshar is your only left-hander. If Pant had been in the setup, in the playing 11, that gives you an extra option. But unfortunately, Unfortunately, Pant, well, the team management hasn't gone in for Pant. And to be fair, I don't think Pant has had the backing of the numbers for the role that he's normally assigned to. Because let's be honest about it. As far as the top order is concerned, you've got Rohit. You've got Kale Rahul, number three is Virat Kohli, four is Suri Kumar Yadav, five is Hardik Pandya. Where would you probably slot in a punt? And that's why, if at all, punt had to be slotted in somewhere, I'm not saying in at this point in time. You know, he could have been played as an opener maybe. I mean, I'm not. I'm not even saying that was an idea that was mooted in England when India toured England. I think he played one of the T20s as an opener. So, in the absence of a left-hander, I think Rohit and company decided that it's not a bad idea to probably push an Akshar Patel, if he had scored about 20-25 runs somewhere in reasonably quick time, things could have panned out slightly differently. I think that's one reason why Akshar Patel was sent up the order.
0: Well, what do you think needs fixing before the next game for either side?
1: Honestly, it's very difficult to put your hand on something and say you need a fix here, you need a fix there. Because what happens in such a tightly contested game is one side takes a lot of confidence getting into the next one. And I think when you're talking about an India-Pakistan game, you're also talking about the extra pressure that comes along with playing at the Melbourne Cricket Ground in front of uh, 90,000 fans cheering one way or the other. So it's so much more than your normal cricket game. So when I'm looking at a contest, say, against a Netherlands, with due respect, I think it's it's a completely different ball game altogether. You would possibly see team India playing with a lot more freedom and they go in as firm favorites. It's very different to a game that you play against Pakistan when you're not necessarily going in as favorites because at the end of the day it's about who handles the a day or the evening better that comes out to winners. So I think in terms of fixes, India will have to absorb what has happened. Look, let's be honest. What happened with Virat Kohli on that night was absolute magic. Now you can't expect such a performance from somebody day in and day out. So maybe India, that, India you could turn around and say you don't want to put yourself in that situation. If I were to still struggle and think hard and think about something, I like the approach of Hartik Pandya and Virat Kohli in this game. Maybe for all the talk of intent that we've had over the last six, seven, eight, nine, ten months, maybe uh, since the last edition of the World Cup, I think the way Rahul got out, it, it was not a shot, you know, which which kind of alluded to the team wanting to be aggressive. I I understand that you might have wanted to look at a few deliveries, but again, whether it was Rohit or whether it was uh, Rahul, look, I'm I'm actually struggling to think. I I would say that possibly in that sense, maybe you would have wanted to show a bit more intent to take the attack to the opposition. But otherwise, I wouldn't look at this game and say, the Indian team needs a fix here or there because at the end of the day, it's a huge morale boosting, confidence boosting win. Now, what will happen is because of that victory, things get a little bit more comfortable for Team India. And you would possibly see, you know, KL Rahul and uh, Rohit playing with a lot more freedom than we got to see them last time around and actually score quite a few runs in the following game.
0: Final question, Ayaz, what do you think? this does to Pakistan's confidence for the rest of the tournament this was a game that was theirs to lose and well they did lose it
2: obviously Pakistan have suffered a mighty defeat losing to India in itself is a you know is a huge setback but in the context of this tournament that's really the more important consideration they've lost a very important match now they've got to get past South Africa to keep alive their hopes of uh, you know being in the knockout this can be a very you know tough passage into the knockout because yes there are 6 teams in each each cluster in the super 12 the two toughest teams in this cluster are india Pakistan and, of course, South Africa. There are other teams also who can cause an upset, but the Pakistan are under pressure now. I won't say they've lost confidence. It really depends on how quickly they recover from the defeat against India. If they mull over it, brood over it for too long, then they could take the field against South Africa in a negative frame of mind. That's something they need to guard against. But they could also look at it the other way that they put up a marvelous fight against India, and in you know having just lost that match on the last ball, it means that they matched India blow for blow right till the end. If they take that kind of positive sentiment into the match against South Africa, I don't think that you know it's a very good team Pakistan have, and we've seen what this bowling attack is capable of. Their batting needs to shape up a little bit. I thought they panicked a bit, the batting trying to dominate or take the aggressive route rather than the more measured route. That's something the game plans they will have to sort out because South Africa is not going to be pushovers. But yes, I think the recovery from now to the next match really depends on how they come to terms with the defeat against India. And put it behind them, take the field, believing that they can win.
0: Thank you, gentlemen, for that insight. It's been one heck of a weekend. And to wrap up this weekend, we've got Saumil Aurora with all the football and Formula One roundup.
3: Thank you so much, gentlemen. Now, on to the Premier League and on to the football. The major stories this week were revolving all the big clubs. Firstly, we saw Arsenal dropping points to Southampton away from home, which means that they're now only two points ahead of Man City at the top instead of the four-point lead that they walked into this weekend. So that is one tricky point that they'll have to negotiate with over the course of the next few weeks. But the other major story has to do with all the other big clubs. Firstly, let's start off with Man United. They ended up beating Tottenham Hotspur 2-0 in a very complete performance. But then they ended up drawing to both Newcastle United in a very drab match. And then Chelsea in a comedy of errors in which eventually they ended up equalizing at the 94th minute, thanks to Casemiro header after they conceded a penalty in the 87th minute with Georginio scoring. So that was a crazy match that United ended up drawing 1-1 at the end. And then, of course, we saw Tottenham Hotspur ending up losing to Newcastle 2-1 as well. I think it's now time that we also welcome Newcastle into the Big Six and make it the Big Seven now because they've been producing some excellent results. But these two results aside, what I really want to talk to you about today is Liverpool because Liverpool, I think the last week were back when they hammered Rangers with a big, big margin, when they beat Manchester City 1 0. They were consistently producing good results like beating West Ham 1 0 as well. So we thought, well, yes, Liverpool are back. But this week, Liverpool are back to being where they were a couple of weeks ago, which is producing poor performances and not having anything of material to show for, because they ended up losing to last-placed Nottingham Forest 1-0 away from home. And what a drab match that was. Now, the one thing you could really tell from this one is that Liverpool lacked all senses of creativity. They were creating chances, yes, but it's not like the Liverpool of old, where they were feeding out the ball to their wingers who would then cut in and score. They were just blindly looking for Darwin Nunez, who many a times, couldn't quite get there on time because his movement isn't quite in sync with that of the rest of the team. Plus, Liverpool have major injury issues and their midfield is just somewhat of a shoestring midfield at this stage where they've got most of their major players gone. It's amazing how Liverpool have fallen from grace in just one season and they're not able to play the likes of Thiago as well. Darwin Nunez has also been slightly out of form. They've not got Luis Diaz available to play as well. It's just a weird team that's been put together by Jurgen Klopp with... Bits and pieces of players that are all available, and they're not able to put in a good show. I mean, the likes of Fabio Carvalho had a great chance to perform. Harvey Elliott had a great chance of performing. Curtis Jones had a great chance of performing. But all of them failed against Nottingham Forest, who were just very compact, sat back down deep. And when the counter attack moment arrived, they were able to score one goal. It could have been two, but yes, they eventually settled with one. And Nottingham Forest are now off from the bottom of the Premier League. And it seems like Liverpool are at rock bottom right now in terms of their performances. They currently stand B8, 16 points, uh, with one game in hand ahead of Fulham, who've played 12 and now have 18 points. They're in seventh right now. But the top six as it stands, folks, is Arsenal to Manchester City to Tottenham Hotspur, who have now lost two games in a row, to Newcastle United in fourth, Chelsea in fifth and Man United in sixth. Wow, this Premier League season is just turning out to be outstanding, isn't it? And now for Formula 1 in the USA, where weird things just keep on happening. We saw Shaquille O'Neal present a trophy and he just seemed to dwarf the entire trophy, even though it was quite a big one, actually, for the winner. We saw hundreds of cheerleaders dancing on the track before the race began. We saw stupid cowboy hats. We saw an assortment of fireworks and a giant limousine for Red Bull Racing to celebrate their World Constructors' Championship win as well. But I'll tell you the really weird thing. We saw Mercedes potentially fighting for a win in Austin. Yes, for the first time since 2021. Now, it was a little bit of a weird one, actually, because it was a lot to do with Ferrari having a terrible day. We saw Charles Leclerc fighting back from P12 to kind of get up the field. And he ended up doing that quite well, which I should come on for a second. But Hamilton was really fighting with Max Verstappen because pole Sitter, Carlos Sainz, got taken out on the very first lap by George Russell. And that's it. That was the race done on the very first corner. So that meant that we saw Verstappen versus Hamilton. And I'll tell you what, Max Verstappen won this race with a 5-second margin, even though he spent 10 seconds in the pit lane extra because Red Bull Racing actually had a botched pit stop. Yup, that's how good he is. And I'll tell you the kind of records he's beaten this weekend. He now is the 6th most successful driver in Formula 1 history in terms of race wins. He's passed Fernando Alonso. He's got 33 race wins, one more than Alonso, and he now has the same number of world championships as Fernando would do as well. And... He's now tied the record of Michael Schumacher and Sebastian Vettel of taking the most wins in a Formula 1 season with 13. He was incredible. He overcame that gap with such ease and was able to beat Lewis Hamilton. But now you might be wondering, Hamilton fighting for the win, what year is it? Is it 2021 all over again? Well, there were glimpses of hope for Mercedes and they were definitely closer, but there is a lot to gain for them so far. Their car is unpredictable. It's not unreliable per se, but it's just hard to know when it'll perform and when it won't. And Mercedes, well, their concept, this radical concept of having no side pods on their car is just not working at this moment. And yes, we did see a stellar performance from Lewis Hamilton. But I think for that one Mercedes win, we might have to wait until 2023. But Max Verstappen, take a bow. What a driver, what a champion and what a crazy USGP!
0: Thank you so much for that, Samil. We'll see you all next week. Until then. There's a lot of cricket, there's a lot of sports. Keep watching, keep listening.